Hey, welcome everyone. My name is Debbie Manning. Um, I'm one of the, I'm hesitating because it sounds like I'm going in and out a little bit, but I'm one of the pastors here at the table. So glad you're with us tonight. Um, I won't do another shout out to you like I did last time. Hey, we are continuing on in our series on the saints. We have two more um, worship services where we will be exploring um, these amazing lives of amazing people. These very human and broken and messy people who answered a call, a divine call, to practice the ways of Jesus. And we talked about St. Nick and Martin Luther King Jr. and Oscar Romero and last week Dorothy Day. But tonight we're talking about someone else. But what they all had in common was they were real people, broken and messy and flawed, who struggled with hard things in life with inner turmoil, um, lived lives of joy and sorrow and everything in between, always at a cost to self. But what they shared was this common love and devotion to God and practicing the ways of Jesus. And the way they live and loved continue to not just inspire us, but I think be relevant to our own faith today. And I'll tell you, and Matt and I have talked a lot about this, that the more we've studied these saints, the more relevant they seem. And every single time either one of us get up here, it's harder to condense their lives into this 20-minute talk. But I'm going to do the best I can tonight with that. There was a girl, and she was born in 1910 in Skopje, Macedonia. And let's see if I can get this right. Anya's Gonje. Boy Yazeyu was born into a Catholic, ethnic, Albanian family, and it was really a lovely family. They were religious. They were people who lived their faith out. Uh, they were frugal. Their, her father was a tradesman, so they had a nice life. But what happened in 1912 is it was the Balkan Wars. Serbia took over the country, and her father ended up on the side of fighting for the Albanians, and what happened was he was poisoned. And at nine years old, this girl, she lost her father. And what she realized was that part of the spiritual journey is embracing the suffering along the way. She was uh, a girl that was just mesmerized by the stories from the Jesuit priests that would come and visit her Catholic school. And at the age of 12, she felt certain that she had a call from God to go out and be a missionary to serve the poor. And then at the age of 18, she made the decision to join the Loretto sisters. And I think what's important to the story is this isn't like, hey, I've got this call to follow Jesus. All's good. It was a sacrifice. It was really hard to leave that loving, committed family. And as her mother put her on the train to Ireland and with tears streaming down her face, her mother said, if you must go, Take hold of the hand of Jesus and only Jesus' hand and walk ahead and do not look back because if you do, you'll come back. And this girl at 18 years old, she took those words seriously. She never looked back. She actually never saw her mother again in her lifetime. She chose the name Teresa after the then newly canonized Therese of Azur. And it was Therese of Azur that gave all of us 
the idea that the life of faith is that in every moment of every day that we choose the path of love. And it was her who said, I can do even little things with great love. And Mother Teresa, she took that very seriously. And she lived it out in a powerful way. So here she is, she's in Ireland, and after some time with the nuns doing some training, she sets off to fulfill a lifelong dream of being a missionary in India. In those first few years there, she was teaching in a school for girls. It's called St. Mary's. She was a gifted teacher. It was a beautiful community. It was a beautiful place to live inside of India, but it was through the streets of India that she became in touch of the realities of those streets. At this time in history, India was in turmoil. They just suffered a famine that cost them three million lives. They had a refugee crisis. And then they had what they called the Great Action Day, where there was a clash between the Muslims and the Hindus. And in that one day, 5,000 lives were lost, killed in the streets by stabbing. But Mother Teresa, this young nun, went out into the streets to find food for her students and her fellow nuns. And when she saw what was happening in the streets, the results of what happened in the streets, she was broken. It was in that moment that she knew there's something she needed to do to help with the suffering. It was a pivotal moment in her story because what happened simultaneously was she was suffering, she was ill, she was sick, and they sent her away on a retreat. And during that time on the retreat in that silence with God, she came to hear the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus said this to her, you will have to go to the slums and serve the poorest of the poor. And for Mother Teresa, that was a second call. It was a call within a call. So she went back, she sought approval from the religious hierarchy. She had to get all sorts of permission. It took her two years. But she left the Loretto sisters. Again, another sacrifice. She loved that life, but she didn't dream of not following the voice of Jesus in this call. They sent her out to do some medical training with uh, another mission of nuns uh, about 350 miles north of where she was because they knew she couldn't enter the slums of Calcutta without some kind of training for the sick and the poor and the dying that were all over the streets. So she finally gets to the slums, to the streets of Calcutta. And she did so wearing, and you'll remember this, her trademark white sari. That was her habit with the blue stripes. And that was the cheapest material. It was the saris that the poorest of the poor wore because she knew it was important to be one of the people, that that's how she would connect. And at the core of her own calling was John 19, 28. And as Jesus is dying on the cross, knowing that all now is finished, he says, I thirst. And she would go on to say that on the cross they tried to give Jesus this bitter drink like a drug, but he did not take it. Because his thirst was for love, for souls, for you and for me. And that was her belief. Her belief was that his thirst was not alone just for something to drink, but it was for the souls. It was for the healing, for the saving, for the uniting of people in love. So what her mission became was to satiate, to satiate the thirst of Jesus. So with a little bit of money in her pocket, 
she went into the slums. Some sisters of the poor put her up in an apartment, and literally one by one, different sisters would come and join her in her mission. And it was in 1950 that they had 12 sisters that came together, and they formed the Missionaries of Charity. And that missionary, that mission grew fast. And it grew because what people saw was this radical love of Jesus in the poor, something they hadn't seen before in the church. And what I thought was interesting is that in these really dangerous streets of Calcutta, those nuns, those sisters, they could go out there unprotected because people knew who they were and they respected them. And what they knew was that they were as poor as everybody else was and that they treated the poor equally. They saw them. They loved them. And Mother Teresa throughout her lifetime was known for referring to the neediest as Jesus in his distressing disguise of the poorest of the poor. And she based that belief on the actual presence of God in the poor that we know through uh, Jesus in Matthew 25. Last week we talked in depth about Matthew 25, but foundational to the ministry of this mission of sisters was this. Matthew, in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Sick and you visited me. And in so far as you did this to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And Mother Teresa, she would always say that hunger isn't just about bread. That hunger is for love. A desire that each and every one of us have inside of us to be loved. She always believed that lonely people suffered terrible hunger. She believed that nakedness wasn't about the clothing. That nakedness was about the loss of dignity. And that everybody desired respect. Everybody longed for that. It was a ministry of tangible care that came out of the love of God. In an interview once, she said this, the work is only the expression of love that we have for God. We have to pour our love on someone and the people are the means for expressing our love. And those sisters poured out their love on the poor. The ministry grew it expanded, it eventually went beyond Calcutta into India. It went all over the country. And what began as visiting the poorest of the poor in their homes and on the street, caring for the sick and the dying and gathering together all those street kids for some education, it grew into opening schools in the slums, medical dispensaries, food distribution centers. And in 1952, she she opened the first home for the dying. And the story is so poignant. Mother Teresa is in the streets like she always is, and she picks up this little woman, less than five feet tall, a woman that is dying on the street. She's half eaten by rats and ants. And like she always does, and the sisters did, she brings them to the hospital, and like what so often happened in the hospitals there, they turned her away. There's nothing we can do. And out of a sense of frustration, she went begging to people. Ended up at a government official's begging for a home, a place that they could open a home for the dying. And they end up giving her this abandoned building that happened to be next to this Hindu temple. And they open this home for the dying. And the priests from the Hindu temple, you know, 
They're upset because they feel like it's desecrating this sort of holy space. And they call the police. And the police are sent in to remove Mother Teresa and her sisters and all that they're doing. And after a while, after observing the love, the care, the dignity that they're giving to these dying people that no one else cared about. They literally were laying on the streets. The police came out and they said to the priests, if your wives, sisters, neighbors would like to come in and do the work that they're doing, I'll be happy to remove them. There's never a problem again. They continued on with that. They went on then to open the first home for abandoned children. It was common for children to be abandoned on the streets, in particular babies. They also opened the first mobile leprosy clinic. And from there, got land and opened a community and tried to take the stigma away from lepers that were shunned from their own family members. And they, they not only healed, got a medicine to heal them, but they trained them so that they could then enter society again with a vocation. They continued to expand over the years. And at the time of her death in 1997, there were 3,914 sisters in 594 missions across 123 countries. And different ministries, they developed to meet the need at the time and the place. To meet the needs of the poorest of the poor, the people on the fringe, the people on the margins, the outcasts. And this work, it created and it included homes for those who had TB, homes for those who were physically and mentally challenged, homes for those that were mentally ill, AIDS patients. You know, Mother Teresa opened the first AIDS, a home for AIDS, to treat AIDS patients in um, New York before anybody here was involved in helping out with the AIDS epidemic. They continued on, though, night shelters and soup kitchens and homes for young moms, young single moms, homes for moms with children that had difficulties, after-school problems, summer camps for the poor, and so on and so on and so on. And to this day, if you look them up, here's part of their mission statement. We, the missionaries of Charity Sisters, give wholehearted, favorite word of Mother Teresa's, give wholehearted and free service to the poorest of the poor, irrespective of social class, color, creed, or religion. They continue on today. They continue on today living out the gospel. The gospel in the way that it was modeled by Mother Teresa. They follow her attitude, her service, her restoration of dignity for all people. And it was Mother Teresa who modeled how to care and love for the people they served. And there's story after story after story. And I only read a couple books and watched a documentary. I mean, I can't even imagine. But there's story after story after story that no matter where she went, no matter where she was or who she was with, she would stop and one by one, she would look people in the face, she would hold their face in their hands, she would talk with them, she would be fully present to that person. She would see them. And that mattered. It was Mother Teresa who modeled that kind of love. She served every single person as if they were a child of God. And like we talked about with Dorothy Day, she saw the face of Jesus in everyone. 
Well, in 1979, and you, I'm sure, remember this, she received the Nobel Peace Prize. And she did decide to accept it. She accepted it on behalf of the poor, hoping that it would make them and the work they were doing more known to the world. And it was funny because her request was that the stately dinner that they always throw, I guess, for all the people who win the Nobel Prize, that they'd cancel it and they donate all that money to the poor because she also thought it was important for all those people to suffer alongside with the poor. And in her speech, what she talked about was the dignity of every human person, each created in the image of God. And she said that even in the West, a great, a great poverty is the lack of being loved. I thought that was really powerful. And in her mind, the lack of being loved is the root of all poverty. And she went on to say this, and I think this is probably the thing that I would hope we can all take away from this. I know I am. But in this talk, she said, I want you to find the poor here, right in your own home first. And begin love there. Be that good news to your own people and find out about your next door neighbor. That's something we can do. You hear about what all she's done and Dorothy Day did and all these people did. We can do that. What's right in front of us. You know, Mother Teresa is one of the most admired women of the 20th century. And let's not forget she was a human being. She was someone that was known to love chocolates and desserts and pray, play practical jokes on people. She even lectured the President of the United States. She laughed and she clowned around with her friends and she wept when they died. She grew angry and impatient. And many of us have heard about her inner turmoil, her inner, inner struggle with darkness over her lifetime. But above all, she had an extraordinary devotion to God. She had an extraordinary devotion to loving other people. And I think one of the most amazing things is that her holiness didn't separate her from people. It didn't keep her a part of people. It actually threw her right in the middle, in the midst of all people. But it came at a cost to her. From her first days on the streets of Calcutta, she experienced this intense loneliness. A loneliness that came out of the loneliness and suffering she witnessed of the poor in the street. And that never left her. Over five decades, that dark inner turmoil, it never left her. And what she held together, and we found this out because after her death, some of her private letters were publicized. She had letters with a spiritual mentor, a priest. I guess they have to be publicized when she was being canonized. But what it, what it held was this dark inner turmoil and this refusal to say no to God at any cost to herself. And I think that uh, the other piece of her life that we don't talk about a lot is that she also was not um, a stranger to controversy. There are a lot of people who objected to what she did, believe it or not. There were those who thought they weren't doing enough to change the system, that, that what they were doing was too little. And she'd been asked, why don't you bother with the root causes of India's suffering and hardship? 
And her response always with a smile was, well, that's for someone else to do. My role is to pick up the dying and to help them die with dignity. To feed the hungry, to, home the, to, to house the homeless, to clothe the naked. And what she showed people with the life she lived was that everyday moments, they offer us a great opportunity to serve God by doing small things with great love. A quote that she's well known for, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. You know, I've been thinking about my brother a lot in the last few weeks, but in preparing for this sermon, I have a brother 13 months younger than myself. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. He's a superintendent of one of the poorest, most violent areas of Columbus. And the stories over the years um, are hard to hear, almost unimaginable, because shootings and violence and fights are a part of the everyday life. These things that stem out of generational poverty and generational violence. Since uh, the beginning of January, let's see, in, he's in charge of 17 schools and they've had five shootings. A five-year-old brought a gun to his, a loaded gun to his kindergarten class. They've had a, one of his grade schools butts up to some public housing that has huge gang problems. And when the gangs had a, a turf sort of war and there was a murder, there was a video that Steve and I watched, my brother showed us, that was filmed in the grade school parking lot and the gangs rapping to and bragging about the murder and holding that up. My brother has walked into a grade school and see kids running on the, on the roof. There's parents who have literally fist fought Teachers pulled them over desks. It is a situation that always has me ask, how do you stay in this? How do you continue to love and care for these kids in this community? About two weeks ago, it was his birthday, and he spent his birthday a Saturday on the phone from 8 to 4.30 because one of their beloved special needs teachers, she was 25 years old, who lived in that neighborhood, got murdered. So he spent the day talking with families and colleagues and administrators and how do we do this? How do we help this community, these schools, grieve the loss of this woman? And when I had a chance to talk to him the next day after his birthday, he was exhausted and he was in tears and he had just finished watching a video of a special needs bus that pulled up to a bus stop and an adult and a teenager got in, busted their way in, kicked the bus driver and beat a, a fifth grade girl with special needs. And literally my brother was in tears. It was so horrifying. And that was another moment that while I'm holding, oh man, do we need people like you who are passionate and who care and who want to make the system better, who want to love each of these kids. And I said again, like I feel like I say every few months, how do you do it? How do you stay in it? And he responded the way he always responds. He said, every day when I'm getting ready for work, I stand at the mirror and I'm shaving and I pray, Lord, if there's one kid today, one kid that can be seen, feel loved, that I can 
it, that I can uh, impact. I pray, God, that you will help me to do that. And that's how he does it. One at a time. That's one kid. That's what he got, what he has. You know, prayer was uh, foundational to Mother Teresa and the missionaries. She spent a lot of time in prayer. And every day she had a prayer that she'd pray. Every day she would pray, dear Jesus, shine on others through me. Because she understood, she recognized that it was Christ's light, not her own. It was God's mission, not her own. That her job was to step into what was ever in front of her. As I prepared, I was thinking, that's kind of the question for me. What's my prayer every day? What's the prayer that you pray every day? As you get ready to get up and go out there and follow Jesus into your own world and your own life. I've been talking to my husband a lot because there's so many of us that wrestle with who is God, where is God, how could God allow this? That's a question that comes up a lot. A lot in this world, a lot in the personal lives of those we love. And there's a prayer that Mother Teresa wrote out, a prayer that she would pray that just resonates in such a beautiful way. And I hope that you guys can take that with you, that that can be a gift to you because it's meant a lot to me. And here's her prayer. I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or this or that. But now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers, but now I'm praying for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and that we change things. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we so deeply want to follow you. We so deeply want to love the way you love and serve the way you serve and care for those that uh, are poor, that those are hurting and suffering, those on the fringe. The least of these, God. But God, sometimes our lives feel confusing and hard and unclear. I pray, God, that as we move forward and whatever is next for each of us and all of us as a community, that we might keep our eyes firmly on you. That we might know our allegiance is to the ways of Jesus. That you might give us the courage, the strength, the energy to set ourselves aside so that we might love one another fully. God, we thank you. We thank you for the example that you've been to us. We thank you for the people that you have called and the people that have stepped up, that have modeled what it looks like to love you fully. We thank you for that. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. I was um, struck by so much of what you shared with us, but I think the thing I'm... Um, thinking over now as we transition into communion is this idea of hunger and thirst. 
and um, we're about to take a meal together. And um, I think that the idea that the poor have real tangible needs like hunger and thirst um, that Jesus also had is a good reminder for us of the symbolic ways that this meal meets each of us where we're at in our hunger and in our thirst. Um, in the same way that it was radical, right, this last supper that Jesus took with his friends because he said um, that this meal was for everyone, that there weren't limits, right? There, the, I was reminded of what Mother Teresa said, you know, regardless of, um, of gender, of age, of belief, right? That she kind of tore down those barriers, and Jesus, it, that's, that was her example because Jesus did the same thing for us. So as we move into this communion time together, we remember that um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in a room with his friends, um, a very familiar meal um, that he put his own spin on because he um, took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to his father and he offered it to his friends and he said, take and eat, every one of you. This is my body and it's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took wine and he poured it into the cup and again gave thanks and said, this is my blood. It's the new covenant. I'm ushering in something new. I am doing a new thing. Would you be part of it? When you eat the bread, when you drink the cup, you remember me until I come again. And so that's what we're doing this evening. Whatever hunger, whatever thirst you brought in with you tonight, um, this meal is here to satisfy that. It's Jesus reaching out to you saying, um, there is a space for you here in, in, my, in my kingdom and in this community. So all are welcome this evening as we take communion. Um, we, um, the way that we do it is we've got one line here down the center. We'll have servers right here up front. You'll take a piece of the bread and you'll dip it into the cup and receive those words of institution over you. Um, this table is open to all and we welcome all of you to join us in that. Will you stand with me as together we pray the words uh, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There's so many good stories about Mother Teresa, and you can go to the table website and um, or the digital bulletin, maybe, and there's all these resources if you want to explore further her life. There's a funny story when Pope John Paul came to visit her, and he actually went to some of the homes that they had in India, and he was very moved. And he left his, I don't know if this is the right word, you Catholics, papal car or whatever his big limo was. And they said she never got in it. But what she did was she raffled it off and gave all the money to the poor. <laughs> amazing, amazing woman who seemed to like get it. Her insight was amazing. But hey, I want to invite you guys right out in this room between the sanctuary and the hallway. We put out some decaf, some water, some cookies. We're giving it a try. We're thinking we need to create a little space if you want to hang out. So not asking you to stay forever, just a couple minutes. Come say hi. Maybe there's some new people you'd like to introduce yourself, but we would love for you to do that. And the other thing is we're going to have a community meal to kick off Lent. That'll be on February 26th. There'll be a sign-up out there. And our meals have been so much fun. So many people have stayed. So I hope you'll do that as well. So thanks for being here tonight. With that, please put your hands out for our benediction. 
No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter who you love or what you've lost, no matter the places you've stayed or the places you've been, you always have a place at the table because you are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Thanks, everybody. Go in peace. Have a good night. See you in that room.